It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. Uh, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, we did part one and part two of a what's likely going to be a three-part series. I could speak on the topic of prayer for a long time, but uh, this is going to be more of an introductory uh, series on prayer for our week-long students that are here and, of course, our five weeks that are staying on. But uh, this one is, is going to build on the first two. So if, if you are streaming this or listening to this via podcast, I would encourage you to listen to episode one and two on Monday and Tuesday of this week, uh, just to sort of catch up and really get this a strong foundation for an understanding of prayer. Uh, by the way, uh, guys, and this isn't for the stream or the podcast, this is for you guys that are live that have been here this week. It's been a very, very uh, precious time with you uh, so far, so I just want to make sure I, I notate that before I just move on into a teaching. It's been really special for me. <coughs> Hitting the sweet spot. So, uh, this is going to be an important understanding of how we pray and what we pray. Because I finished, I don't know if it was Mondays or, or Tuesdays, I think it was Mondays, which goes into the recipe for the impossible for God not to answer prayer. And what I'm alluding to is that God seems to define that there is a way to pray that he will respond to. And there's a way to pray that he actually won't. It's, it's a little confusing because in our quick uh, perusal of scripture, it would seem that God just says, ask, and it will be given. And so we then conclude, oh, I could ask for whatever I want then. And then I'll get whatever I want. And that's actually not what scripture teaches. And so that's where this comes in, hitting the sweet spot. There is a very specific thing that God is asking us to ask for. And so when he says ask, he actually is defined the ask. We just need to understand what that is so that we can ask rightly. We can ask with excellence. And when we ask with excellence, we're going to get. It's that simple. And that's the transaction we have. That's the confidence we have in God's word. He said it. So when we align ourselves with it, then we see God's purposes accomplished in this earth. We see that which is in heaven brought to this earth. God is not desirous to hinder our praying. He's not desirous to just fold his arms and go, ah, we'll let them do that for a while. Boy, it's futile. In other words, God is desirous to answer prayer. So our role in this is to know his mind, to know his heart, to study his word, to know how to rightly divide it, to know and understand, okay, God, what is it that you're instructing me to do? Because that's what I desire. So this is somewhat of a review. You'll recognize we're going right back to Mark 2 in Capernaum where Jesus was teaching in that house. Remember, it was packed full of people and even surrounded by people. And there's these four uh, that are carrying this man who's paralyzed. He's sick with a palsy. And they can't easily get him to the feet of Jesus. And so what I emphasized yesterday when I talked about this is this is what prayer is like. God is going to entrust us with burdens. He's going to entrust us with something that we have a clear sense we are supposed to ask for. And then what are we supposed to do with that burden? We're supposed to carry it 
to the feet of Jesus? What if we run into obstruction? What if we run into delay? What if we run into different obstacles along the way? Well, let's climb over them. In other words, we are going to bust through them by faith. We are going to go after this because we recognize God didn't entrust this to us so that we could just set down the burden. He didn't hand you a sword and say, swing it, and then it's just its so heavy, oh, I, be- I better just set it down. In other words, he says, swing it, use it. So while carrying the burden to Jesus' feet, get this, expect hindrance. Now, if you're expecting it, it doesn't shock you. It's when you're not expecting it that it really throws you for a loop. Do not consider it strange, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You know, that's a quote-unquote from the scriptures right there. And what's funny is we consider it strange when we face trials of many kinds. And yet the Bible is very clear to say do not consider it strange when you face trials of many kinds. Now, I don't know that we really like that scripture. (laughs) You ever notice that there's certain scriptures we stick up on our refrigerator and love to stare at them, and there's other scriptures that we strategically act like we didn't see? It's like, oh, I didn't see that, I didn't see that. Do not consider it strange, O church of Jesus Christ, when you face trials of many kinds. Do not consider it strange when you receive a burden from the Holy Spirit, and he says, would you carry this for me? We say, I would love to, Lord, what an honor. And then we run into resistance. And we're like, what, how, how, how am I supposed to do this? Well, you continue, you press on. Have you studied my word? Do you recognize what I taught you about the neighbor that goes next door and knocks? Do you remember what I taught you about prayer when I showed you the widow and how she came to the unjust judge and begged him day and night just with with persistence? Do you remember those pictures? Because I have taught you a way to get that which is in heaven to this earth. But you must be a rascal. You must be dogged. You must go after it and not relent. So Mark 2, here's just a review. And they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, carried by four. And when they could not come near unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus sees their faith. He's like, that's what I'm looking for, guys. Right there. And what we're supposed to do when we see Scripture is catch what the Spirit of God is saying to us. It's not just giving us history. It's like, oh, what an interesting story. God is giving us doctrine. He's giving us a pattern for living. All Scripture is useful for training us in the righteous course of life. There it is. I mean, what a strange thing to see. think about four guys carrying some guy that's a paralytic way back when, 2,000 years ago, and suddenly I'm like struck with it going, I now know how I ought to pray. Isn't that just an amazing thing? But that's how the Spirit of God uses the Scriptures. So we called this uh, message Hitting the Sweet Spot. So hitting the sweet spot in prayer. So you'll see on the, on the same screen I have a Scripture in Matthew 21, 22. Whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So I'm going to now say, because the word whatsoever is a big term. And for many of us, we're just like, oh, that means I could ask whatsoever. And you would be accurate in your English. However, if you understand what this means in Scripture, you recognize that God is defining a territory. saying, ask whatsoever, and if I could add a, a few words to help us, 
in the territory I have defined for you, it will be given you. Now, the reason I'm going to help you with this is because this is a tripping spot. It's a tripping spot for many of us because there are prayers that God is going to go out of his way in the New Testament and in the Old Testament and say, I won't answer that. And we're like, God, I thought you answered every prayer. I thought you would do whatever I asked. If I asked for a Mercedes, a, a Ferrari, a Lexus, it doesn't matter what I asked for. I just get it. If I said, God, I want to float, well, then you should make me float. You follow me? If I asked for a million dollars, I should get a million dollars. God, you said, is that how it works? No. And that's where the first or natural man, remember I said there's twos, you have a natural man, and you have the one who is born in Christ. One is after the flesh, and one is after the spirit. Now get this. There's two ways to pray. One is to pray out of the natural man and the natural man's longings, lusts, and desires according to what would make him grow stronger in his own seat of authority. Or there's another way to pray, and that is, get this, in the name of Jesus. Did, did you see a distinction there? One is in Adam, one is in Christ. You could pray in the name of Adam and in the, for the glory of Adam, for the strength of Adam's kingdom. God will not honor such a prayer. That's not God's agenda in this earth. God's agenda is to establish his kingdom. And so as a result, when you pray in this position, by faith, you are praying in Christ the way we say it and the way you're familiar with it, even though you didn't quite know what you were saying when you prayed it, is in the name. It's in that position. I'm in Christ, so therefore I'm praying to the Father in that position, in Christ, in the name of Jesus. So when you pray that way, you're going to get results. And when you pray that way, you need to pray in accordance with what God wants to do in this earth, what the Spirit of God is desiring. It's not what the natural man is craving, it's what the Spirit is craving. These two are at odds one with the other. And so if you're going to be in agreement with what God is doing in this earth, and you want the Spirit of God to work through you as a house of prayer for all nations, you need to let go of your agenda and pick up His. I'm calling that the whatsoever territory. It's right here. It's the whatsoever territory. It's what Christ has purchased on the cross. He said it is finished. What is finished? Because what is finished is what he wants to come to this earth. When he crushed the head of the serpent, he's not wanting you to pray, oh God, bring the serpent back to life. He's not going to honor that. He's going to honor that which is in agreement with what he is doing and what he has done. So in the Old Testament, we have a picture of this. You have a nation who is being led by God out of Egypt and into a land of promise. You know that that's you? You're being led out of the shackles, out of the enslavement to sin, and you are being tutored by the law in the wilderness to learn what? Boy, I can't do this. Boy, this is not the life I want. And then God is setting before you promise. He's saying, but I, Joshua, has made a way. That's Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, same name. The law can't save you, but the second can. And if you follow the second, cross the Jordan into a territory known as the land of promise. So if we had our pedestal here, 
for those of you that are getting this via stream or podcast, you're like, pedestal, what pedestal? Well, in our training this week, we had two pedestals, one on, the, one on my left, and it had an apple on it. It was like the tree in the garden, the bad one. And then you have the, the other one with the Bible on it, the tree of life, Calvary, the cross. It's the land of promise. It's Jesus. You want to step into the land? Jesus makes a way for you to enter the land of promise. It's Christ. Christ is the land of promise. He's the promised land. He's the promised Messiah. He says, I will bring you in to the land. That sound familiar in the Old Testament? God is foreshadowing what he is going to do by Yeshua, Joshua. Isn't that amazing? And he's going to bring us into a territory, into a place out of a place of slavery into a place where it's a land flowing with milk and honey, even though some of you are like, I don't know, that sounds very good. It still sounds pretty good to me. Milk and honey, you know, I might add chocolate in there. But this is a land of promise. In the Old Testament, it's called the promised land. We know it as the land of promise. It's Jesus, the promised Messiah. He has come. And Jesus has led us in to Jesus. He has led us into the fullness of what he did on that cross. That's whatsoever territory. So in the Old Testament, we see it. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan. Who's talking? Joshua. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. What we have is a promise, and it's a territory. It's defined. You know, God didn't just say, go take Japan. Go take uh, the island of Great Britain. He said, take this territory. This is what I've given you. Many of us go wandering. And we go in exploration of other territories. That God says, I gave you this. This is what my promises are. So when you ask in accordance with this, you will get. So look what it says. It says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. That sounds very reminiscent of whatsoever you ask in my name, will I give it to you. Everything you ask, not in Adam, but in my name, I will give it to you. This is the territory. Take it. Put your foot upon it. Because God has given it to the children of faith. The whatsoever territory is defined. It is referred to as the land of promise. So there's six things that hinder prayer. So the Bible, I know it sounds strange that the Bible at first can seem contradictory to people. However, you just need to study it and recognize, you know, it all weaves together. God says, ask, and it will be given. And then in another scripture, he says, yeah, if you ask this way, you're not getting. You're like, what? How rude is that? He's not contradictory. He's saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's us that oftentimes jumps to conclusions because we do not understand the whole the way to understand an individual verse is to know the whole, not to start with an individual verse and then find another verse and say, oh, they're contradictory. 
No, you need to know the whole, which is where discipleship comes in. You'll notice in discipleship, I'm not just going through an exposition of one scripture for you out of all of the Bible. I'm going over the whole Bible to help you understand the one scripture. And that's how you start. And then you begin to work out. Nathan is really good at teaching expositional study. And he's a very good expositional preacher. So one of the things we do here at Ellerslie is I specialize in big topic. And so I will have an overview of the entirety of what's going on in the Bible. And then we're going to come in and begin to fix you to understand how all these things fit together like a grand puzzle. And that's how discipleship works. So we understand that God has promised to give us whatever we ask if we ask. And then, but there's other clarifiers to that in Scripture that all help accompany and clarify and sharpen our understanding of what God is saying. So let's look at those. You know that God also says that you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. If your prayer is born of the flesh, if you are actually praying in the name of Adam, in the authority of you for the desires for, to spend upon yourself and your natural man, then God's saying, look, you're asking amiss and you're not receiving because you're not in Christ in stride with my agenda. It's very easy for us to do this, guys. Okay, you can be in Christ and still ask amiss. Okay, because you're not in agreement with Christ. You still have a natural man propensity. And so, you know, you get mad at somebody like, God, punish that person. And that might not be exactly God's heart in the moment. However, for you, that's your request. Okay, and it's amiss. And praise God you don't receive everything you ask for. Life would really be chaotic if every one of us just started asking. Everything we asked, we started getting I mean, we would probably have, I don't know if you ever saw it, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, with food coming down from the sky, you know, a big, huge uh, chocolate sundae <laughs> landing, you know, on the classroom. It would be unhealthy and quick. Number two, errant, which means not in alignment with God's nature, will, purpose on this earth. Now, this is very similar to the other one, but, you know, the, the scriptures are actually clear. It, God cannot change. He is so when he says, I want you to enter into this, and when you pray in agreement with my nature and my name, I will do it. So if we don't pray in agreement with who he is, you can't ask God to lie, for instance. God, you said ask whatsoever. Could you please lie? No, is the answer. In other words, God cannot violate who he is. You can't ask God to cheat, to steal, you can't do anything. God cannot extend grace towards evil. He can only do that which is good. He can do that which is godly. And so as a result, when you're asking God to move in response to prayer, you need to ask in agreement with what he does. It just makes sense, I know. So, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That, that, that was a funny that, that, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Our confidence is that when we walk in agreement with him, he is very attuned. He's like, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. 
However, if we start to deviate and we're like, and, and God, could you do uh, this for my flesh? Could you do this to harm these people? You know, I really am upset with the liberal media. Could you just bring down a bolt of lightning and destroy them? I've had that thought a few times. And yet, that isn't always God's solution. He might say, I died for them. Eric, would you begin to pray for them instead of grumble about them? You know that, who did Jesus come for? He came for sinners. So look around and you'll find some sinners in this world today that you might want to see destroyed with a bolt of lightning. And yet God is saying, I loved you, Eric, even while you were yet a sinner. Will you pursue them with my love? God, it would be so much easier if you just wiped all the evil off this earth. That will happen someday. However, there's a season of, and an open window of mercy right now for all of us. And the same mercy that he's expressed to us, the same forgiveness he's expressed to us, let's give it. He's given us love, let's love with it. So right now, God is desirous not to just bring judgment, but mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. It's greater. This is a season of mercy. God wants vessels of mercy right now. Number three, wavering and unsure. So in James 1, 6 through 7, he says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So if you're going to ask, what do you need to do? It needs to be an ask in faith. For he that wavers, remember that when I was teaching you on faith, we were talking about diacrino, going from one to the other like a wave of the sea. He who wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Oh, what do you do with that scripture in light of all the others? I thought God said, ask whatsoever. Yeah, but you, there's a few things that need to be tacked on. It needs to be in agreement with God. It needs to be in stride with what he's doing, and it needs to be in faith. You do know that everything that works in the kingdom of heaven is working because of faith. The fact that God can answer a prayer that isn't of faith is his business, right? You know that guy in the bar that's like uh, drunk, and he's like, God, if you're there... Uh, then, you know, have my stool fall out from under me. And then his stool falls out from under him. He's like, God? Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to give a commentary on that. The fact that God can do whatever God wants to do and he has a good sense of humor is his business. However, there's no legal mandate for him to respond to something that is not of faith. Does that make sense? If you want to hold God to his promises, you stand in faith. And that's the key access to the kingdom of heaven. Number four. This is an impediment to prayers being answered if we live in disobedience and impurity. So in Isaiah 1.15, we're seeing this in the Old Testament. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Whoa, God, why? why? Your hands are full of blood. In other words, when you walk in deliberate disobedience to God, you are creating a blockage to your communion with the Most High God. And so as a result, what should you do if you know that you have uh, an offense with a brother? Before you offer your gift at the altar, go and make it right with him. In other words, if there's things that stand in the way, before you come to God, deal with what God is convicting you about so that there's a clear channel, an open highway. It's like the kink in the hose that we talked about yesterday. God has a hose, he connects it to the spig, and he desires grace to flow out of that. However, the moment we have disobedience, it's like a kink in that hose, and suddenly, whoa, hey God, what happened? Why is all the grace cut off in my life? Well, it's not cut off, it's available, 
But that disobedience is actually hindering and crippling the forward flow of grace in your life and through your life. Number five. This is an extremely fascinating one. I mean, I've been so fascinated by this fact, especially as a man. This is a very interesting one. Lack of heavenly honor. If I were to very quickly describe honor to you, uh, I would say it's like the behavior of heaven down here. So imagine that we had a school bus out here and it said uh, Ellerslie Special Events or something on it. You guys, what's going on out there? You'll find out. And so I go, hey, guys, let's load onto the school bus. I didn't tell you it's a flying school bus. And it goes, and it takes us up into the heavenly realms. Now, there's a rule. You can only spend about 15 seconds in the heavenly realms before you explode, okay, if you haven't died yet. So, because you need a new body, you need new eyes. So we have a 15-second allotment of time. So I'm like, go, 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 go. And we go running out, and we get this very quick glimpse of the temple of God in heaven. And we walk in, it is clean sparkling. Everything is orderly. You see the seraphim. You see the cherubim. You see their honor, their dignity. You see the holiness of God. You see the, the pillars of the temple shake. You see the ho- you glimpse the holiness and poof, we have to run back onto the bus and get out of there before we explode. Right? But we saw it. What did we see? We saw honor. We saw the way heaven is. The way that a man would behave. The way even the angelic host behave in heaven. We, the way the spirit of God is it's his nature. And then that spirit of God moves in here and takes over this temple. Well, that's what this temple is supposed to do. The way it was in heaven is the way we're supposed to live down here. And so you know that that answers a lot of your questions of what's appropriate behavior down here? If you just sort of say, well, what would they do in heaven? <laughs> that's a, it's a strange reasoning point for many of us, but that's actually the spirit of God who dwells in heaven, dwells in that temple, is actually the one who's dwelling here And he says, uh, hey, I'd like to sort of conform you to the image of the Most High God. Would you allow me to do that? So listen to this. This is an issue of honor. You see, there's a way that a husband is supposed to care for his wife. Now, most women today don't really care for this scripture, uh, even though it's actually very much to their advantage. But they don't like being called the weaker vessel. Okay, I understand that. Do you know that that doesn't mean women are pushovers? Uh, th- there was a challenge, there, uh, one of these like martial arts challenges where uh, these, t- I want to say two brothers that were in uh, judo or jiu-jitsu down in Brazil. I, d- I don't remember the story in detail. And they called a challenge. They felt like they could beat any other martial art. And there's probably money on the line. I don't remember all the deals. And so they invited every other martial art to come down to Brazil and to challenge them. And so on behalf of, I think it was Krav Maga, uh, a girl came, little slight-framed girl, and devastated them. I think she, was, she won. I mean, maybe out of the whole world as far, as far as I know, right? So it doesn't mean a woman has to be, you know, a pushover. It just means the way that she is structured is on purpose to actually be more delicate in her soul in her disposition in her emotions i can't i don't even want to speak too much on it lest i get all of you mad at me (laughs) however i am married to a woman and i prefer her that way i love the fact that i am the man who must protect i am the man who must guard there's things that leslie could say to me that i can't say back to her 
it would actually injure her, where if she says it to me, it doesn't injure me. It's like a weird thing. And at first, in, in marriage, you're like, that's unfair. And yet, it, like, for instance, we as guys growing up, I didn't like this, but we'd punch each other in the shoulder, and these guys would stick their, you know, knuckle out like that. <laughs> like, why is that fun? I don't know. But you don't do that to a girl, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and they bruise different than a man does. It, men are built for something different. Likewise, you husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Isn't that interesting that if you do not live in an understanding way with that which is weaker than you, it actually hinders your praying. If you do not behave in accordance with a pattern that is in heaven, it actually blockades. And the devil knows this, which is why he incites disturbance to the pattern. Because he knows that if he can disturb the pattern of honor, he disturbs the flow, the channel of communication between man and God. So as a result, this becomes important to live in an understanding way, to give honor unto the wife. That's a, it's an incredible concept okay and there's all sorts of things that this could come to because it's not just, I mean, like for instance every woman in here also needs to have honor and understanding in her relationships there's still a proper pattern of how we relate and it doesn't mean just the man has an assignment to live in an understanding way and to show honor and deference to the wife it goes both ways and unto children you know if you mistreat your children and don't treat them in an understanding way same effects in other words this is just a template or a construct to show that if we lack that heavenly honor, that pattern, it actually can interfere with our praying. And finally, number six, lack of abiding. So I, I use the illustration of the plane, but to enter into Christ when you're under the law of gravity and you could desire to fly, you know, and you could flap your arms, but it's not doing anything. You, you are not built to fly. Jesus is. And when you trust him to be a passenger vehicle for you and you enter into him and then get this, you abide in him. You remain in him. A plane is not much good to you if you're flying over the Atlantic and you don't abide. In other words, as long as you remain in it, it is able to pull off the impossible for you. But if you over the Atlantic suddenly get cocky and think that you have flying figured out, you will very quickly discover that you are still unable to fly. The only reason you're flying right now is because of him. And it's because you have been remaining in him and abiding in him. But the moment you get a little cocksure and say, you know, I've got this figured out, God, whew, you immediately recognize that the law of gravity is still very much in effect outside of that plane. Have you ever heard it, uh, you know, said where, you know, the, the, the law of sin and death is nullified, it's destroyed, it's abolished, Right? We are dead to the law. And so when you think of yourself as being dead to the law, don't you just immediately think, well, that means the law of gravity is just gone. So you came to Christ and the law of gravity just disappeared off of planet Earth. That's not, not actually how it works. It means you are dead to it, which means it has no authority or power over you anymore. But it doesn't have authority or power when you remain in the higher law of aerodynamics. But outside of confidence in that, if you distrust Jesus, if you say, God, I'm not sure if you can pull that off, it's amazing, but the weight outside of that plane is still very real. 
the downward push, and many of you have discovered that in your life, you assumed that you couldn't sin anymore. You're like, oh, I've given my life to Christ. I'm free from sin. You are. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. That doesn't mean you're using it. And so therefore, you're still susceptible to the law of gravity when you do not remain in faith, in a faith position in Christ. So if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So you notice that that says you can ask what you will, and it will be done. But what is the condition? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. In other words, what's abiding in you is his word. (laughs) So as a result, when you are asking, what are you asking out of? You're asking an agreement with these things. All right. Well, guys, this is uh, this little tutorial, this beginnings of our understanding of prayer, and we're going to go into a time of prayer, uh, is very significant and very, very important for the development of our Christian life, not just for our corporate praying, but for our individual life. Everything that we would do corporately, it might look a little different privately. In other words, you might not call on someone across the room and say, hey, could you lead this in prayer? It's just you. Everything is a little different, but it's the same. It's the same stuff. It's the same focus. It's the same exercise of soul. It's the same vigorous determination. You receive receive a burden, you carry it. And you carry it until you reach the feet of Jesus. There are so many reasons why we set down our burdens before we reach the feet of Jesus. And I, I mean, we could chronicle them, get a big whiteboard up here and just start writing them down. Like, what caused you to set it down? Life circumstances. You ever had it where you're, you see something clearly and then a bomb goes off in your life? And then it literally like resets your entire thinking pattern. And then, what, a year later, you're like, I was praying about that. And it's like, wow. The devil's really good at, at disturbance, at distraction. We're just not really good at remembering at holding on because we haven't been trained in it. If you were trained your entire life up to this exact point to never let go of the rope, it's a lot easier to hold on to the rope. But if you were never trained to hold on to the rope, no one ever even told you to hold on to the rope, so some little wind comes up, the rope flies out of your hand, oh, oh, I guess I wasn't supposed to hold on to that rope. In other words, we need to change our orientation towards prayer. It's a vigorous activity that involves soul sweat and at times will be excruciatingly difficult. And yet, it is the assignment of heaven to our souls. And though it includes a form of suffering in it, it is what brings about the grand nature of heaven to this earth. And it is our great privilege to participate in it. Father, I ask that you would build us into men and women of prayer. That we would be constructed out of your heavenly lumber in this arena. That you would build us into houses of prayer for all nations, not just for our own needs and not just for our own families, but Lord Jesus, that you would have the freedom to burden us with that which is on your heart for all nations and all peoples. 
Lord, that you would show us the persecuted church, that you'd remind us of them, that you'd remind us of our governmental leaders, that you'd remind us of those that are lost and those that are dying in their sin, that need the grace of God, that we would stand on their behalf in prayer, that we would labor on our knees to go after that which is your possession. Is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would give us your burdens. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.